this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to the award-winning Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. And now your host, health and safety specialist, mentor and speaker, Colin Nottage. Hi there, Colin Nottage here and welcome to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. Hey, look, I hope you all had a great, uh, great Christmas and New Year. We actually got struck down with COVID, which was uh, um, a bit of a bit of a nightmare. To be fair, it, it actually turned out not to be quite as bad as uh, uh, as, it, as it could have been. Um, you know, it, uh, I think we must have got the milder version of it, but it's still still quite tiring. Still um, knocked you for knocked you for six a little bit, but um, we're on the other side of that now, coming out the other side. Um, today, I am joined by Peter Jenkins, and Peter's a lovely guy. He's a member of the. Uh, um, Project Militium community, um, a really, really active member of that, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, doing an amazingly well in his career, you know, relatively new to the health and safety profession, but such a such a, a an amazing thinker. And um, and we had a lovely chat. Um, and hey, I'd love to welcome Peter Jenkins. Peter, how are you, buddy? Colin, I am very well. Real pleasure to be here and to be speaking with you. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm really good. It's absolutely lovely, mate. Good. Absolutely lovely. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what. What I'd love you to do, if you could, um, just give um, just give our listeners a little bit of a, a little bit of introduction. You know who you are, what you do, and then um, and then we're gonna we're gonna explore risk and risk perception. I think I think that's where we're going today. But um, yeah. you know, let's have a little bit about that. Uh, let's have a little bit about yourself first. Yeah, perfect. Looking forward to it. So hello, everyone. My name is Peter Jenkins. I'm Group Health and Safety Manager at a company called DL. We produce dry spice blends and sort of bespoke dry goods to the butchery industry and to the food manufacturing industry. And we have 19 sites across the UK, three food manufacturing sites, one packaging manufacturing site, and about 14, 15 depots. So very exciting role for me uh, who's still relatively speaking quite early on in my career I've been in health and safety for about what six six years now mm-hmm. thereabouts since roughly about 20 2015 2016 uh, following a degree in environmental health that was very much a generalist type of background mm-hmm. since graduating I've been in hospitality and food manufacturing and then this is now my first foray into a group role that also involves logistics as well Wow. Um, outside of uh, outside of all of this sort of like exciting work stuff because who doesn't love food manufacturing and logistics but outside of that I also do some volunteering with IOSH as part of the future leader community mm-hmm. and that's a really 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 rewarding experience that gives me a lot of exposure into understanding the challenges that young professionals emerging health and safety professionals and even those that have been in their career for quite a while but might be looking for a change or swap between different sectors or industries are looking at so uh, lots of great work done on that uh, so far so, yeah. yeah it's uh, but doesn't hold a candle to being able to have a chat with you today Colin I've been really looking forward to this really looking forward to it uh, it's going to be great mate. it's interesting when you say you came into the career in in 2015 I was sitting there thinking bloody hell I was I was starting to think about retirement then but I, but I can't <laughs> I can't retire I just love it too much you know so uh, we're gonna we'll, we'll keep on we'll keep on going I think they'll they'll take me out in a box I think is when you know which is uh, I suppose the way the way to go from well, a safety perspective we, we, we can touch on the well-being aspect of that later <laughs> on, <Colin. laughs> 
So I mean, you know, I mean, before um before you were in Adele though, you um you know you've you've worked um you've worked in a couple of you know really sort of diverse industries and different different industries, and yeah, I think you you were saying to me um previously you uh you're sort of in the the events and sort of um you know sort of yeah entertain I don't know if it's entertainment but the sort of you know tell us tell us a bit about what about we we were I think that's what I'd like to really chat about you know this diverse risk you know that you've that you've had previously. Yeah, of course. So, Will, but if, if I give you a little bit of history, I suppose. So, graduated, as I say, from a, a generalist degree in environmental health. Uh, through that degree, I spent a year out working in Newcastle City Council that gave me a great experience into a load of different businesses. Although environmental health is traditionally associated with food safety and scores on the doors type of thing, we'd get involved with everything from boatyards through to uh, little cafes through to uh, sort of big smelting businesses throughout Newcastle and the Northeast. So a very diverse exposure to different types of risk, as well as just standard risk for what we might find in rented accommodation as well. And outside of that, I then moved into a role that was called the graduate ambassador role for a university, selling higher education to kids, not too risky, Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not going to lie, I, I did wonder if my credibility would survive trying to make Netflix and chill jokes every single day for the best part of a year at the time. Uh, although, hey, here we are, here we are. <laughs> and then moved from that into hospitality, working in Hilton and down in London. And that was a, a very generalist role that involved health and safety, food safety, disability, pest control, licensing, trading standards and counterterrorism as well. So a very diverse role in that respect, a very significant position at a time uh, around 2016 early 2017 where there were unfortunately some terrorist events that had occurred in London at that point that really drove home just how significant and challenging and unfortunately how tragic some of the outcomes can be from terrorist events that occur mm-hmm. so very much a diverse role there with, with a lot of risk uh, from that moved into food manufacturing with a company called Green Corp who are, I still believe, Europe's largest sandwich manufacturer, but making Yorkshire puddings in Yorkshire Pudding Factory in Leeds. So we didn't get too much more Yorkshire than Yorkshire lad making Yorkshire puddings in Yorkshire. Uh, and then from there, progressed through she advisor, she manager, and then left to pursue a group role with DL. So, yeah, very uh, diff- different levels of risk throughout my career today. Brilliant. I mean, no, that's um, that's that's wonderful, mate. You know, lots, lots, lots going on. Lots of stuff you've done. Let's, let's can we go back a little bit then? I mean, you know, when you, you know, when you talk about uh, terrorism and uh, counterterrorism, that kind of stuff. So, you know, how, how do you go about um, how do you go about looking at risk in that kind of uh, that kind of environment? Then, well, I think first of all, there's there's a lot to be said for potential imposter syndrome in health and safety. Now, I, I say this is kind of a, a perhaps an introductory point because there's a a lot of professionals will absolutely understandably come in into very early roles and think oh my god this is this is so much more than I anticipated it to be can I deliver on these expectations and having a a first role within health and safety involve something as significant as as a counter-terrorism approach is a very grounding very grounding type of experience that helps you understand, well, actually, what do I need to give me the confidence in myself to deliver these policies, procedures, processes around such a significant issue? So it was very much a great introduction to not only self-confidence, but also in terms of contextualizing, right, well, what is risk? 
you know, in health and safety, it, I appreciate the whole health and safety gone mad. Oh, this this event's got a bouncy castle. Down with the bouncy castle, kids are potentially going to injure themselves, and which naturally does happen. And obviously, that that's very very bad if it does. But compare that then to potentially chemical uh, radiation uh, risks that would potentially come up if you've got nuclear potential issues as well uh, in a city centre. Something to consider, as well as potential just just actual physical terrorist events with potential uh, occurrences such as marauding uh, attacks where someone might come into a building and then just work their way through that building attacking people along the way. There's a very, oh God, the, the perception of risk and being able to contextualize, well, actually, what is the risk? What is the real risk here? Was a very enlightening but quick transition in from uh, higher education into actual pragmatic risk application. Mm. And I think that's in, that's important that that pragmatic risk application because you know if you talk about you know, just the things that you mentioned there, you know the uh, you know the different the, the different approaches that, I mean, that people can take. I, I can always remember um, you know I think it was I think it was somebody in the IRA um, was was saying many years ago you know with respect to um, you know to terrorist attack they said you know you know we've only got to get it right once you know you've got to get it right every time. You know, when in, in in relation to how you control it compared to to the to the attack going ahead, there are so many different yeah. different ways that uh, that things. How do you even go about? How do you even go about sort of you know trying to formulate a, a program or formulate a plan? Because you know that can you really deal with with a, a radioactive attack or a, you know or somebody coming in with a with a machete? I mean, that's so different. You know, how how do you, how do you get a, and do you try and get any consistency or 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 do you have different plans for different eventualities? I mean, how does it work? Oh, it's, it's, it's a great question, Colin. And I think it's important to understand that when it comes down to risk is that there's always some element of planning that can go in. There is always you will be able to analyse events that have occurred in the past. You'll be able to create action plans, create processes, create policies behind that that will acutely minimise that risk to as much as possible. But what the, the key side to it was is trying to understand that risk isn't necessarily linear. You know, it's not always cause and effect. It's very much, it can be about, well, actually, how do we identify the variables? How do we identify variance against what we believe is going to happen? And how can we manage that variance? If we are aware of something that we understand it, we've got a very good opportunity to be able to manage that effectively and to be able to deal with it. Where health and safety professionals tend to thrive is in identifying, well, actually, what's unknown? What is it here that we don't know about? What is it that we don't understand? What is it that we're not aware of? And how can we create priorities and procedures to deal with prospective events that we might not be aware of? Mm-hmm. So very much it, it, you, you can have all the planning in the world, and there is absolutely all the planning in the world globally that we've seen, un- unfortunately, be tested in, in recent times due to these type of events that have happened. But what we also see is the ability for professionals to flexibly adapt in the moment. And that absolutely comes to that specific dynamic assessment of what's going on at that time. What do we know that we have in store? What do we know that we can, we can do? And then applying it in the best possible way. So for every, every risk professional out there, every health and safety professional out there, especially when we talk about big events around things like counterterrorism, yeah, I think the ability to adapt to the unknowns is our biggest strength. I mean, can you give us a can you give us an example? You know, where you know, of you know, of, of putting that into practice. I mean, th- thankfully for me, I didn't actually have to put 
too much into practice from a professional point of view. Mm -hmm. I, I will share if it's all right, just a, a personal story though, over what happened uh, that, that was, um, I want to say it was particularly traumatic, but for anyone that, that's listening, there is a small trigger warning about terrorism attached to this particular story. So during my time down in London, I unfortunately had come across a very dynamic event while I was on a bus one day. And I was taking the bus home from work, I was on the top deck, and an individual comes onto the bus and he's got two, two bags with him. He gets up to the top deck and he says, right, I've got a gun and two knives, I'm going to kill every one of you just on this bus. God. In, in a split second, you, you try and think, oh, geez, what? What does, a, what does the policy say? What would a procedure say? But in, in a case where you're just out there and you're on a bus and you're on your own type of thing, yeah, okay, there, there's a significant bit there. Now, you had some people on the top deck of the bus that basically laughed it off and said, oh, yeah, I'd like to see you try type of thing. And with the experience in the background that I had at the time, it was basically saying, well, you don't, you don't want to take any threat like this lightly. So I managed to work my way through to the front of the bus on the top deck, go downstairs to the bottom floor, and gently had a conversation with the driver, explained to him what had happened. And it was his, it was his first week on the job, bless him. And it was naturally very nervous. But at that point, trying to talk him through and say, right, okay, well, what do you know? What's your training? How, how would you deal with this? And trying to coach someone through a very specific moment when they are being flustered and they are driving a, a big bus through the central London with a prospective terrorist on the top deck. So... We, we worked out that right, we need to keep driving as much as we can and try and minimise the amount of stops that we make. And we'd agreed uh, with the police on the phone that had worked through the radio to stop at a particular location away from the Houses of Parliament, away over the bridges and trying to get to a, a, a local area as much as we could. And it was the, the longest seven minutes of my entire life was standing next to that bus driver on the bottom deck and just trying to keep him calm, kind of talking through just give him the confidence that what he's doing is right and thinking like, what, what are we going to do to minimize the potential risk? And we ended up stopping at the agreed point and we had, we had to open the doors. We had to open the doors and we were, we were stationary for about two minutes. And at about the, the, the end of this two minutes, one of the passengers on the bottom deck, they say, Hey driver, why are we stopped? And in the heat of the moment, the driver had turned around and said, Oh, there's a guy on the top deck that says he's got a nut. Oh God, the bottom deck naturally just got up and they 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 pegged it out the, the bottom bottom deck. And just just as we heard movement up on the top deck, the armed police around the bus got out with all the machine guns and they knew that I was at the front of the bus and they knew that I could ID the person. So they came in through the front of the double doors and said, Right, where is he? So I gave the description of what color his top was, color his trousers was, and, and a, a facial description. Um and just as they were doing that, the gentleman with the question, the gentleman in question had come down the stairs at the back of the bus and was promptly swamped and arrested under the firearms act. So not a work-related aspect at all in, in that respect, but the training that I'd been given had allowed me to determine simply just three things, that the, the priorities. Because in the heat of the moment, good God, you, every, God it's like trying to pick out a, a business continuity plan that's in any any location, any business type of thing, something happens. Are you going to go for the big, like, three-inch thick book or are you just going to remember potentially the key priorities that you need to? So the key priorities for me at that time were to protect life, 
as much as possible to minimize the risk of an, a, an event being much bigger than the localized area that it was. And from then a personal point of view, my third priority was simply to determine how far I was willing to go to stop something from happening. And it was probably the, the single most defining event that I've had in my life that made me un try and think about well, what, what are you willing to do in the moment? How far are you, will what risk are you willing to take to stop something from happening? Mm. Now, I, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with Colin, I got to the point where I hadn't quite worked out exactly what I was going to do if if push came to shove. But what I knew is that if I committed myself to staying on that bus, that it would give me the opportunities to potentially protect life on a personal level. Um, for me, I've been, been perfectly honest with you, that was one of the key defining reasons why I, I kind of looked at my time in London and thought, is London the place that I might want to stay? <laughs> I don't want to go up north a little bit and spend a bit more time with my uh, my girlfriend and my parents and and. Chose a letter from that point. I need Yorkshire puddings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, I'll, I'll go. Yorkshire puddings seem a little bit safer, safer in this respect. But it, it, coming back to that kind of cause and effect approach that we traditionally get taught about risk assessment, it just goes out the window because mm. you don't know what the effect is going to be. You don't know what the cause is going to be. You just have to try and manage the unknowns in the moment relative to what you know you can control and relative to what you know you can influence. I think what's some, you know, I mean, that's, a, that's an amazing story, Peter, and, th and thank you ever so much for sharing that with us. Um, you know, I, I think I can I can really relate to that. Not not in respect of of ever being on a bus with a with a guy with a gun and a knife, but but one of the things that that you didn't do, okay, is and you and you could have done, okay, is you could have you could have come down those steps, you could have pressed the stop button, and you could have you could have got off of the uh, you could have got off of the bus. And um, yeah. and 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 gone on your way and and, and 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 you know avoided the situation, but you didn't. Yeah. And I, and I think I think from a you know from my experience from a health and safety perspective that is such a that's such an important part of of our role. Okay, you know because because what we what we do as as health and safety uh, professionals is is we often we often have to deal with adversity. We often have to deal with things that have gone wrong or are in the process of going wrong. And, um, you know, and I like to remember, you know, chatting with a, a manager of a, in a company, um, you know, when I was in, in one of the large, uh, one of the large quarrying companies in the UK. And, uh, you know, we were just chatting about it. And he says, you know, how do you, you know, how do you do it? And I said, well, you know, when everybody, you know, when, when something's gone wrong, a lot of people are, are trying to distance themselves from the event. You know, they're trying to put some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of, of space between themselves and what's gone on. And I said, that's not my role. My role is to get in there and to support. My role is to be there to work alongside the people that are that are that are having some uh, having some issues, having some problems, whatever it may be, and um, you know, and, and trying to trying to help people through it. And and that's that's exactly what you've exactly what you've done there, which is an amazing amazing thing to do for you. You know, really is. And you know, I think that really sort of that sets you up well. You know, taking that approach <laughs> forward. Not from a not not from a terrorism perspective, but just generally in life, yeah. you know, being being there, being a support, being you know, being there to help people get through adversity. I think that there's th thank you, Colin, for that. I, I really do appreciate it. I, I do think that there are there are opportunities in life that allow us to define who we are as individuals, to define our values, to define what what we are willing to stand up for in life. 
And by working through a, a, such a fantastic profession as health and safety, I actually think it's one of the best professions for introspection and for learning, not only about yourself, but about just perspectives that there is. You know, we see it with the, the change from safety one to safety two, the hop for uh, uh, what you call it, behavioral safety, for whatever the future might hold in terms of what health and safety looks like, but it is an introspective review to say, right, okay, well, actually, what do I agree with? What do what do I like? Do I think that lost time accidents is the best KPI for us to focus on? Do I think that action management is the best one to focus on? And do I think that cause and effect as a risk model is the right way for us to go? Or do I think that, for example, identifying the unknowns is from that side? And I, I, I spend a lot of time speaking with people in different roles, different positions. And I find myself just coming back to just how amazing health and safety is to allow for us to define our limits, to define what integrity we have as professionals and as people, and to live the best versions of ourselves through the work that we do. I, there's, there's very few professions that will allow for such uh, an application in that respect. I love, love health and safety for it, really do. I mean, it is. I mean, it's, it's you know, you can, this, this, you get me, you get involved in every single part of an organization, which I think is, um, you know, um, when allowed. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the better you can, you, the better you can get at that, then the, the better that the business will be for it, you know. And, um, you know, and there's, there's a lot of businesses that, that, you know, they see the, you know, the health and safety function sits totally within operations, you know, and it's, uh, you know, and it's there, you know, on the, on the production line. And obviously there's a lot of risk there, but there's so many benefits from looking so much further because as you say, you know, risk in the business, you know, when you start to look at risk, it takes many, many different, different shapes and different forms, doesn't it? And I know what, you know, one, one of the things that you've been, you've been doing recently with your current business is, is to look at looking at risk much, much more in a much, bigger perspective you know not just from a health and safety perspective I mean can you talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely and this is something that's uh, been quite pervasive through the uh, I'm reluctant to call it a brand of health and safety but my, my preferred approach to health and safety I, I like having a look at something called source pathway receptor and it's a model that's traditionally used in environment circles specifically that there's bits around kind of coastal erosion that it's used in as well but the idea is, is that we have a look at risk across a narrative of time, across a narrative of a process, and try and contextualize where the most impactful differences can be made. Now, if we have a look at something as simple as the, uh, the risk of stress in people loading vans or loading trucks type of thing, because they are potentially stressed because there's a lot of work that's going on. It's very intense. There's a lot of detail that needs to be uh, correct. And potentially you might be doing it very quickly over a short period of time and doing it in a repeated way. And additional stress can contribute to things like manual handling injuries, can contribute naturally to stress, anxiety as part of it as well. But you might also find that that rushing contributes to things like slips and trips and everything like that. So traditionally we might, in, in health and safety, in kind of process uh, years gone by, we might have just focused on the people side of things. We might have focused on the receptors in this case and said, right, what can we do about the people at the time that they're doing this activity? But arguably health and safety now, and then what, what is my favorite approach is taking a bit of a step back, taking a bit of a bigger picture and saying, okay, well, actually, what's the process behind it? So we say, okay, well, let's look at the, the picking process. Can we do something with pre-picking to potentially mean that staff aren't loading loads of individual boxes? They're loading pallets that they've already pre-picked. It makes life so much easier. It streamlines that process. 
And then we think, actually, okay, well, that, if that's the pathway, if that's the process, let's take a step even further back and say, right, well, from a source point of view, do we have a look at something in, in manufacturing and logistics called day one for day one delivery? So you order on day one for your day one delivery. You order on Monday morning at 7.30, you'll get it Monday afternoon at three. Mm-hmm. Or do we say, right, okay, well, actually, is day one for day one the most cost-effective and operationally excellent approach to this uh, activity, this process? Or do we look at, for example, saying, right, well, if we were to move to day one for day one on certain days, but do day one for day two, throughout the week or potentially have conversations about uh, with our customers and say right can we work out a standardized order system and then try and reduce the risk that way so that our staff will come in to pre-pick and know exactly what they're going to pre-pick at certain intervals it just reduces the stress it reduces the likelihood of rushing it allows for more adaptability to any unknown events that come up on that particular day because we've prepared in advance, we've looked at it across the three stages. We've looked at the people at the receptor stage, looked at the pathway through the picking process, and then we've looked at the source through actually how to be ordering the first place. And all of this together creates that risk profile and it creates an interconnected level of risk management that has stronger outcomes and potentially more consistent outcomes compared to just say looking at the people. So that's, I mean, that's really fascinating that because I think, you know, what, what's happening there, that, that, that day one for day one is, is definitely something that, that other industries have probably started to have an impact on your industry. So I'm just, I'm just thinking, you know, businesses like Amazon, you know, Amazon have become, and, you know, I think it started off with, you know, the thing, the thing that I probably noticed first was, uh, was, was next. Okay. You know, you order, you order something from next at, um, you know, at seven o'clock at night. And it, and it appears at your house, you know, at nine o'clock the following morning. And I used to think, wow, you know, that's absolutely, that's absolutely amazing. You look at Amazon, you know, and Amazon, are, you know, I've got so good at, at getting products to your door that your mm-hmm. expectations now, people's expectations are Im- immediate. You know, if they, if oh, they want something, yeah. they want it straight away. And, and, and that has a, that has a, a massive, you know, that, that same approach from a personal perspective gets taken into the workplace. And all of a sudden the expectations of your, of your, of your clients, you know, becomes, becomes greater, you know? So, so I've, I've got a question, question for you then. Okay. We talked a lot there about uh, expectations. Have we ever considered managing expectations of stakeholders in the controls of our risk assessments? And really, should we? Is there is? You want me, you want me to answer that? I love, I love, it. I love, I love you asking questions, and I just go quiet. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a two-way street. This, two-way street. But, but it, you know, should we? Should we? Should we consider something like that? Traditionally, in, in health and safety, we kind of look at physical controls. Mm. Uh, it, it's very rare, and especially the the early days of my kind of, I suppose, higher education uh, introduction to risk and risk management, did, did we consider putting uh, the processes around managing expectations as key control mm-hmm. to ultimately reduce stress? Well, no, not really. We kind of just focus on, on more of the, the well-being initiatives that we focus on, but we don't really look at mm-hmm. the source elements as being a key control. And I think it could be. I, I genuinely think that health and safety has a great opportunity to start looking at how these perhaps more <laughs> intangible but still con- controlled and influenced experiences can be used as controls for reducing risk overall. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, it's, you know, I, I just sort of look back at my career and, you know, I've, um, 
I'm in the uh, spend a lot of time in construction. You know, what, what the comp- one of the companies I work for um, make concrete. Okay, and you know, I think that's a that's a really uh, that's a really sort of boring product to make. But there's a couple of issues with it. One, one, it's got a very very short shelf life. You know, so it's only it can only be it can only be used for uh, for a few hours before it starts to go hard. And the second thing is everybody wants it first thing in the morning. Everybody, <laughs> you know, everybody wants that product first thing in the morning. And so that puts a massive amount of pressure. You know, you go to a concrete plant in the UK at six o'clock in the morning and it's crazy. You go there at three o'clock in the afternoon, you know, and you can have a cup of tea and sit in a chat. You know, I'm sure it's not quite like that, but you know, you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but it's um, you know, it's it's about it's about managing that expectation and it's about you know, and it's but it's also about being really aware of you know when you know when something goes wrong at half past seven in the morning, when all the pressure is on, how do we how do we deal with that? How do we as a business, you know, really manage that process through? And you know, and how much pressure is there on that individual that's trying to get that that piece of equipment working or that plant running? You know, when there's yeah. when there's all that expectation sitting on sitting on his shoulders or her shoulders, you know, it's massive. It's, it's, it's a great, great question. And, and I appreciate that we've had some conversations in uh, uh, PM about workers done versus workers imagined. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, how, how can we truly understand workers done, especially in a time where well, it's, it's, things are remote at the moment? If there's a multi site management type of position, how do you accurately know the workers it's actually got? And I appreciate before we were having a chat about what, what makes good health and safety. And I think that aligned to this as well is just the building of relationships and the empowerment of trust. That means that people can feel psychologically safe to tell you exactly how it is without fear of reprisal. To just be able to share what their actual experiences are, however good or bad it might be, in the knowledge that we can work through for continual improvements and better outcomes from that point of view. And I, I, I do think that one of the greatest strengths of any health and safety professional has been able to build strong relationships, to be able to relate not only with the employees as professionals, but also as people as well. To try and understand, right, well, I tell you what, if you've got all these people coming in at six o'clock in the morning, how are they feeling? God, you know, it might be, especially these days with, with how unfortunate the face of COVID is, but it could be that a lot of these individuals have got uh, responsibilities and dependabilities at home and coming in at six in the morning is causing them quite a bit of stress because they're, they're worried about what's happening at home. They're worried about what might happen if they get furloughed or worried about what might happen to their industry. They want to give it their best because right now, if they do a good job, hey, perfect. No, that, that's in, in this moment in time, they can control it and they, they might be able to make a much better job of it from that way. But potentially, potentially, by not having the relationships, the understanding, the relatability, you can miss out on the reasons why. And potentially you might not be able to implement appropriate controls from that point of view as well. So I, I do, I do wonder, I do wonder. Um, just, I mean, just how many, just how many employees are there in your organization roughly? So currently there's about eight. 800. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so, you know, so it's pretty, it's pretty difficult for you to, to build up a relationship with 800 people and for it to be of any, uh, of, of any benefit, you know, I mean, you know, yeah. that's, you know, you'd have to be, you'd have to be meeting everybody. You know, if you met everybody um, once uh, three or if you met three people a day, 
it's going to take you a year yeah. to get around everybody in it. You know, that's what, that's what yeah. I'm trying to say. Okay, so 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 how do you go? How do you go about in, in an organisation of, of your size? How do you go about getting getting that kind of approach where where you know the where the the relationships are seen as important because you can't do it all. You know, what are who are the who are the key stakeholders? Who are the people that you feel that you need to influence to then be able to influence the business? Oh, it's it's a great question, Colin. And, and first of all, I think it's it's fair to say that when we consider influence from the perspective as a health and safety professional, that it, we don't want to create a divide or a silo between a safety culture and a business culture. Hmm. It should always be that the, the, the safety culture is an inclusive part of what your overall business culture is. And by considering it in that way, we can work through the scalability of our engagements. One of the early things that I did when I came to the business was leverage Microsoft Teams and to try and use Microsoft Teams for each of the sites and the general channel as a bit of a hub for information to help use it as not necessarily a social media network type thing, but to allow for different posts and pictures for videos to have a home and for people to generate a bit of a discussion and a bit of a, a dialogue around. Contributed to that, for me, the key thing throughout, I've been with the business since March, and it was incredibly important for me to try and get out to the sites themselves. Made much more difficult through COVID, but over the course of about seven months, I managed to make it to every single site. And when I was on that site, the key things that I did was not introduce myself to a lot of the, the factory floor staff, the depot floor staff, as, hi, I'm Pete, I'm the, the group health and safety manager. It was just, hi, I'm Pete, how are you doing? What is it you're doing today? Just have a bit of a chat. Do you want a hand? Let's see. How, how would you do this? And by just engaging with all of the, the staff as much as possible, and I'm seeing it in a COVID safe way, but just in terms of understanding who they were as people and getting to know, okay, well, I'll tell you what, where's good for lunch around here? Why, why not? What do you love about it? How is it? How is it this good? We, we create the, when we build the relationships in what I would say is quite an authentic way. Because realistically, hey, people come to work to do work, but we're all people at the end of the day. I love Land Rovers. I really do. I love food. My waistline does not love food, but it's still, it's a great thing to be able to talk about. I appreciate before we were having a chat about how important it is to be able to just relate to staff. And I know that you do that a lot through sport as, as, a, as a great conversation starter. There's been some phenomenal things that have happened this year through football with the Euros. Um, uh, through F1 recently as well, especially with the finals that had happened uh, this week. So there's a lot to be able to talk about from that point of view. And it's not necessarily about perhaps identifying individuals. I mean, we're on that. There's always going to be leaders on site that are important to speak to, absolutely. But the key thing from any engagement is to try and understand how to shape perceptions, especially in a business where there hasn't perhaps been a, a centralised service of health and safety before, is to try and reinforce the fact that actually it's, it's not about an individual, it's about a function, it's about a process, it's part of the business, it's about being an ambassador for something much bigger than yourself. So in theory, I'm saying it doesn't matter who you speak to, there are people that will have potentially more impact, but by generally communicating in a consistent and broad way that is authentic your brand your perception your just the feeling of inclusivity ultimately starts to increase and teams has been great for being a bit of a leveler for that outside of being able to physically see people but I, I, there's there's so much that we can do and so much more that we can do 
uh, around that type of engagement as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how you know how, how much um, how much time are you able to spend out in the field? Then you know, you know, it could could you put a could you put a percentage on on the amount of the amount of time that a health and safety professional should spend? You know, engaging with people compared to doing the other stuff. How much time should someone spend physically getting out there? A lot of it will come down to the needs of the business and relative to its maturity as well. There comes a point if a business is in a a very good period. I I follow something called the STARS maturity model. Uh, there was a, a great book actually that that's worth a read if anyone anyone that has uh, has not read it so far. It's called The First Ninety Days, mm-hmm. and that was a fantastic, oh, a brilliant, brilliant read that helped me articulate business maturity. Uh, and I did that around something called Starts. So if your business is in startup, turnaround, accelerated growth, realignment, or sustaining success, relative to the structure of the business and how previously or how you want to engage with it, well, that will determine how much you should engage. So if you've got a business that's in sustaining success, where there's a lot of autonomy for empowered sheet managers, well, actually, your level of involvement might be quite a light touch. No, it might well be that you don't need to physically go to those sites a bit more. But perhaps those sites that are in a position of turnaround or in startup or going through a period of growth where they might have introduced new processes, policies, or hardware, machinery, or built a new building, well, actually, then it makes a bit more sense to have a bit more time. So I I don't think you... I don't think you can necessarily put an exact number on it, but I think that being very much aware over that maturity and being aware of the needs of your business, as not only business, but as a team, as a group of people as well, that'll, that'll very much define how much you should spend there. Oh, that's interesting. That's an interesting approach. I think, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, that I've, I've always considered in my career is, is in actual fact, the, the better, the better you get, the harder you've got to work at it. And, um, you know, and you need to, you know, I would, um, you know, I, I would, I would think, you know, the businesses that are really doing well, you know, actually maybe even spend more time, you know, than they, uh, than they would just because that's what works, you know, and it's getting out into the business and it's doing stuff out there and, uh, you know, and you just, um, you just, you just keep on, you keep on pushing it. I, I had the, uh, I had the pleasure of dealing with a guy called um, Peter, Peter McKee um, for a few years. And Peter was, um, he, he basically was, in previously CEO of DuPont, you know, which are, you know, are quite well yeah. known for their often safe performance, but also he was, he was HSE, um, uh, Northern Ireland commissioner or something like that. He was, anyway, he had, a, he had a pretty influential job and he used to say to me, he used to every single day, you know, in his role as, as, as chief executive, every single day he would get out into the business and, and spend time and, and arrange his diary and move things around to, so that he could spend time talking with people. And and that was that was where his that's where he saw his success, you know, was actually just sort of getting out there and doing stuff. So uh, you know, from my 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 perspective, the more time you can spend out, the uh, the better. I know there's been a few things on LinkedIn recently about you know about oh we're spending too much time out with the guys, but for me, God, just get out there. You know, that's where that's where the fun is, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's it's more you know you you said earlier on you know what you know one of the important parts of your role is having fun. This might have been before we started recording, but. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, it ain't fun for me anyway. Writing a procedure in an office, but it is fun going out and talking to people and finding out what what makes them tick. Oh, absolutely, and I think that that's 
it, 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 no, it's, I can't sit here and say that anyone who sits behind a screen all day type thing isn't going to get the same outcomes as someone who goes into a factory and then or into a location that physically spends time with people because it's all, it's all relative. It's all mm-hmm. relative. But mm-hmm. that said, I think that in no matter what position or what industry or what level someone's working at within health and safety, defining what your outcomes are is key and defining what you want to achieve through the work that you do will very much help determine that level of engagement and how you engage as well. But there's a lot to be said for the empowerment of staff and of leaders to create their own vision of health and safety. Mm. And to, because sometimes you might find, I mean, you see it, I'm sure you'll see it in the work that you do from a consultancy side as well, Colin, that the way that SMEs will approach health and safety if you've got a micro SMA or someone that's like only got 10 people in their, their, their register but still needs to do all of those legal compliance bits will be quite different than the way that, for example, a, a CEO of a 10,000 pound business, uh, sorry, 10,000 staff business mm. might be doing uh, engagements instead. So I appreciate those are two very extreme ends mm. uh, from that perspective. But I, I think that no matter what happens, so long as the engagements are authentic, as long as they're consistent and so long as the outcomes we achieve are being celebrated in the right ways yeah i think that that's that's key and hey it might well be as well that actually one of the key things dare i say of, of celebrated success comes in the validation for it because there are things that i've celebrated in the past from a health and safety point of view around lost time accident free records that i look back and i cringe a bit now I do because it, is it actually the right thing to have celebrated? Mm. Should we at that time should we have focused a lot more on the inputs that we have for health and safety rather than the outcomes of lost time accident free? Well, yes and no. No, I think that there is still a, a place for celebrating positive outcomes, but relative to the maturity of our businesses, relative to the maturity of health and safety, I think we owe it to ourselves to have that reflection on how we engage and what we engage about. It's really, it's really interesting because I'm, you know, I, you know, <coughs> I see, um, I see posts on 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 LinkedIn and places like that. You know, we've got, you know, we've had ten thousand days without a lost time injury, whatever it is, you know, and and immediately this 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 massive argument starts in all the comments underneath, you know, and yeah. you know, and some people are saying well done, and some people are saying oh, you know, you know, you haven't, you know, what, what haven't you heard about, blah blah blah, and and I suppose it's you know, at the end of the day, you know, that business may be able to say that because they do stuff really, really well. And that is, mm. that is what's happened as a result of everything that they do really well. They, you know, they've got this result, but it might also be that, that what's going on in their business is just that they're just dipping their heads in the sand. And, and I suppose it's not, it's not knowing. And I suppose that's why, you know, focusing on the, you know, on the inputs is, is, is really important. So with that in mind, you know, what, what are the, what are the key, what are the key things that you like to focus on from, you know, from a, health and safety perspective that you you would then want to celebrate? Uh, Joe, the first thing that came to mind while you were speaking there was consensus. Uh, no matter what it is that we celebrate, it's the fact that we, we are celebrating because we believe it is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. We believe that it is the right thing to celebrate and we will back it, we'll champion it, and we'll sell it as one of the best things around health and safety. Mm-hmm. So I think the one of the key things that always comes out is just that, that consensus and the agreement that the approach that we're taking is the right one to go with. Mm-hmm. And so again, bring, bring it back to how we discussed about business culture versus safety culture before. If you've got 
safety outcomes that are an integral part of your business process and your business uh, strategy, business out- outcomes, I think you'll be in a, a very strong position, a very, very strong position for that. So yeah, so consensus alignment in that respect is key. But I think, what do I want to say the, the thing is? Generally speaking, it's got, I'm trying to think of the best way of articulating it. I'm afraid that every now and again, I'll lose, uh, I, I tend to focus too much on flowery language. So I'm trying to think of the best way of just keeping this without apetism, but empowerment. Now to really sum, sum it down, empowerment, to be able to empower individuals, leaders uh, across all levels to make good decisions based on them asking good questions is, is always going to be one of the greatest things in health and safety. Because realistically, you know, I can't sit here and pretend to be an expert on like, all of the 60, 70 different topics that we'll cover from a health and safety point of view in the business. It'd be, it'd be impossible for me to do that. But what we can do is ask the questions to understand where those limitations are and then to address them with subject matter experts, either internally within the business or externally, if we need to get it as well. I think there is n- there's no shame in having the understanding and the consensus on where your expertise will finish so that you can get someone else to come in and support you where need. I wouldn't say that there is, generally speaking, a superman type of mindset within health and safety where someone feels that they have to be a walking encyclopedia. But I absolutely love the fact that as safety professionals through COVID, I've seen so much more in the way of discussion, dialogue, questions being asked on LinkedIn, people in uh, groups coming together and discussing their problems and discussing their solutions, breaking down the borders between uh, industries and sectors to just talk about what makes good health and safety so that we can make the best decisions and that we can lead them appropriately from that point of view. Mm. So, yeah, consensus, alignment, empowerment through inspiration. I love that, man. I mean, the two the two points that you're talking about there. I think one, you know, knowing your limitations is 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 so important, you know, and being prepared to 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 say, look, I don't know, but I'll find out. You know, it's a, it's a yeah. really you know, or I'll try and find out. Um, I think it's a it's a fantastic trait to have as a health and safety professional. And also, just I'd love the idea of uh, you know, rather than having um, you know, we, we've got uh, you know, we've had two thousand days without a lost time injury. You know, having a you know, seventy percent of our employees feel empowered. You know, um, you know, and we and we want to get that to eighty percent or ninety percent. You know, whatever it is, if you need to put a number to it, if 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 you're that, you know, if that's the way that you tick and you need you need some kind of measure, some kind of a number. I think you know another one I love is you know the number of risk assessments that 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 you're that the people that do the jobs really believe in. I think I think I think that would be a really really cool measure to have in place that you that you report to the board on. You know, you know, and that's a true figure. You know, yeah, yeah. Look, only only twenty percent of our staff really believe in our risk assessments. I think you know, would tell a would tell a story about um, I, about a lot of businesses. You know, <laughs> I absolutely agree. And you know, what we talk about there is what what value do we deliver as health and safety professionals yeah. to our superiors and to the business? Mm. Does a business want to know about how many days we've had since a lost time accident, or would they like to know more about? the reasons why our other accidents have happened and what actions we've d- done to stop them from happening again. Mm-hmm. And should we champion those type of metrics rather than the outcome metrics of lost time accident rate? Yeah. So you know, there's, but then, oh God, I, I think, I can't remember if it was you that was telling me about it before, Colin, but should we do more micro experiments around KPIs and around 
just what what inspires people with good health and safety and what outcomes they feel are important mm. because i think that 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 perhaps micro experimentation around risk assessment confidence hey mm. that that could be a fantastic thing to explore and to to try out Massive, massively mate massive we're just um we are just starting a project doing doing exactly that with a with a pretty big company in the midlands you know where we're we are going we're going out and we're just going to be spending time talking to the talking to the staff about about what they do what, what it is that um you know what it is that they think works really well what they like where the areas of concern are and, and then we're really going to get them to get them to explore those those areas of concern and, and we we're just going to facilitate the conversations we're just going to be just be facilitating and making you know making people really think about the, the things that they they want to have in place to, to make a better place of work you know it's yeah. just really really fascinating it's gonna be really fascinating you know, there's something that uh, that james uh, james person had said before and uh, i'm sure that this is his quote and he was saying that in the world of finances we would we would never say right okay this year we want to break even in terms of our profitability right? that, that's that's our, that's our goal our goal is always going to be to, to break even right versus saying we want to make profit mm. in health and safety compliance is our break even mm. and what profit do we make you know what where does the, where does the value come in through the work that we do how do our activities our initiatives add value beyond that point of compliance and everything that you're talking about there everything in terms of that empowerment that facilitation ah that is the stuff that health and safety dreams are made of because that's very much the the value on investment that we can provide the increases in productivity resilience retention and success confidence in our processes happiness of employees coming to work the confidence that they feel that they are safe through everything that they do and the fact is that by working through all of these things together are oh, you know th- this is the type of stuff that we can use to sell the effectiveness of health and safety and to entice top tier talent to come to us and to come work with us and to try and just enhance what we do to an even greater level so i'm, I'm getting really excited about these ideas i've got dreams of notes from this already For those who can't see literally every now and again you'll see me just look down and just be furiously scribbling yeah. at the same time the the uh, i mean it's a real shame because i'm um, you know we both got we both got deadlines that we're working to today and um you know, and I've, we've, I've only got about five more minutes, and then I've got to go, which is a real, which is a real shame because it's been absolutely wonderful, uh, wonderful talking to you. So, yeah. so, you know, what are the, um, what are the, you know, what are the three things then that, um, that 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 you're going to be working on? If you can't, if you've only got one or two, but what what are the three things that you're looking to do to really, really drive your business's performance through in the next, uh, you know, the next couple of years? Okay, so the first thing is organizational architecture, and that's strategic direction which is your mission vision and strategy mm-hmm. structure in terms of how the business is structured with health and safety how we coordinate work how we incentivize it and how we manage it through governance structures so be that through reporting mechanisms proactive analysis reactive measurements audits and compliance to, uh, metrics that that structure is going to form a key part of it developing core processes So for me, that's a lot of digitization, automation of the administrative side of health and safety, but also being able to share best practice and learnings from events, hazards, near misses, accidents in a very quick and robust way so that sites can jump on them very quickly. Similarly, focusing on things like procurement as well and identifying how we can get the best possible quality of uh, solutions and services that we have through the processes that we use. And then finally, skills-based. So if you imagine that we've, we've established the strategy, 
We've talked through how we're going to structure it and deliver it through the structure. We've talked through what processes and tools are going to be used. Skills basis forms the, the training side of things, the competency element to it. And how are we going to focus on enhancing our staff and enhancing our leaders at all levels through core competencies, behavioral competencies, and technical competencies around health and safety? Very much being inspired by what we've seen through the recent IOSH competency framework as well, because it is it's genuinely it's good stuff. It's a really great starting point mm -hmm. to help align that approach within the business. Mm -hmm. So for me, very much all around organizational architecture, but fundamentally underpinned by aligning everything with safety to the business culture so that we do not get a siloed mentality of one function exclusive to the rest of the business. It's all about that integration, all about that alignment, the consensus and the empowerment of staff at every level. Love it. I absolutely love it. Thank you ever so much for that. So Peter, how um how can people get hold of you then if they want to uh you know if they want to chat and find out a little bit more? What's the best way? Yeah. Well, I mean, so the best way is just to get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Uh to be honest with you, I've got a uh, just a normal LinkedIn profile. If you just search for Peter Jenkins or I think my URL at the end is PTM Jenkins. So if anyone wants to grab me that way, get in touch. Hey, feel free, drop me a message, give me a Drop, drop me a message through that, really, and we'll uh, we'll go from there. That's fantastic. Either that or I do accept smoke signals as well, as long as they don't come <laughs> from a specific building. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Hey, look, um, hey, look, thank you ever so much for your time. Absolutely love the chat. You know, we must uh, we must get on again, uh, you know, later on in the year and, uh, um, you know, just chat chat more about, uh, you know, what it is you're doing, the exciting stuff that, uh, that's going on in your life. That's, uh, you know, really, uh, you know, really appreciate your time. Oh, brilliant. I appreciate that, Colin. It'd be great to chat about branding in health and safety in the future as well and how we can use marketing techniques to sell health and safety initiatives. Really great topic to touch on another time if you're keen. Oh, well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to date in the diary and we'll have that chat, mate. Definitely. Good stuff. Good okay. stuff. Well, real pleasure speaking with you, Colin. Thank you ever so much, mate. Cheers, buddy. Bye. Cheers. Take care. Peter, Peter, Peter. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was just so lovely to to chat with you, to um, you know, to have, hear your views and opinions. Just the story, mate. Christ, you know, um, you know, being involved in something quite as uh, intense as uh, you know somebody on a uh, somebody on a bus, uh, you know, potentially about to attack is uh, is really really a tough thing to deal with. And um, and I suppose you know all these things you know make you the person that you are. And I think if we look back in our lives, you know, we are all impacted by stuff that goes on and this is this is sometimes where i feel that you know when people just say you know health and safety is just common sense what they what they don't really get is that everybody has been affected in so many different ways by so many different things we've all got different perceptions of risk and we've got we've got different perceptions on you know what is uh you know what is something that can cause us harm and not and, and that's why people make different decisions um you know, so you're never going to get one size fits all, but it's just really, really great to, uh, you know, to have had the discussion, to hear, hear you talking. You know, there's just so much that I've got out of this episode, and and I just really want to thank you so much for uh, for taking the time and effort for coming on and having a chat, and and I wish you so much uh, success in your career. I know you're going to be really, really successful, a real influencer. You know, moving forward, um, I wouldn't be surprised if you have a podcast one day, and uh, you know, and it will be absolutely smashing it. So you know, really good luck with everything that. You you do thanks a lot um just a small message from our, our sponsors you know project Miletium uh is a is an amazing community for uh for health and safety professionals you know if you're new to the professional just looking to start out if you're at um 
you know, maybe a bit of a crossroads in your career and not really sure, you know, where to go next or, or maybe towards the end of your career and you want to give something back, then um, then Project Money Team is for you. We have a fantastic group of people that get together um, twice a week for community calls. We have um, um, and some, you know, it's, it's a really safe place to come and talk and to come and um you know, just come and um, tell us about your successes, about things that are, that are issues, things that are problems, um, and uh, you'd get amazing support in the community. We also have a, a philosophy call. We have a book club. We have um, uh, a quarterly mastermind. You know, there's some really great speakers that come on. Um, recently, had custom Bush on the uh, on the show. So you know, really, really amazing stuff that's going on. So please check out www.projectmiletium.com. Hey, thank you very much. Speak to you soon. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety Community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilised in the real world as the only solution available, as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Colin Nottage. (laughs) 